you know, I, I thank you very much for inviting Gary out and by proxy myself. Um, thanks, Gary, for asking me to come along with you. And um, it's always an honor and a privilege to participate in any meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'll tell you that I didn't feel that way when I got here. Um, I can tell you that this was my worst nightmare. Standing up in public and saying, my name's Bill, I'm an alcoholic. I was 23 when I got, uh, when I got sober. And it was uh, shortly after a, about a four month uh, stay at the local sheriff's office up here in Glendora. They had a trustee program up there. And uh, I was in there and I got out on the 4th of July in 1985 or 1984 and, um, and started to go to meetings about that time. But of course, you know, I didn't think that I needed to go to meetings. I think what I thought was that uh, I had had a bad, uh, a series of bad breaks and misunderstandings that led me to a place I didn't want to be. And that what I really needed was a couple of breaks. What, what I really needed was I needed some money and a girlfriend and a place to stay. And if I had those three things, I'd, I'd be okay. So, you know, I'd sit in the meetings and they'd talk about alcoholism being a d disease and they'd talk about all the things that it does to you. And I'd think, yeah, that's you, old man, you know. And, um, and I would think of all the reasons why I didn't belong there and why I shouldn't stick around. But uh, once I left uh, the jail, I didn't have any place to stay, and I did some couch surfing for a while, and I wound up uh, staying at this house in, uh, in Pomona. It was a condemned house. Uh, it was on 2nd Street, and right across the street was a place called the Silver Moon Lodge. And there was a meeting there every Wednesday night, and I didn't know what was going on there, but I didn't like those people because they made a lot of noise, and they sounded like they were having a good time. And I just basically didn't like very many people at all at that point in time. But uh, I didn't know that uh, that was going to be a, a very important place for me in the future. But at that point in time, I just wasn't convinced. I wasn't convinced I was an alcoholic. I wasn't convinced that I had a spiritual uh, malady. I wasn't convinced that I was looking at insanity or death. What I was convinced of was I didn't like the way I felt. I didn't like what was going on in my life and I didn't like where it was going. And one day uh, I, I worked at a junkyard just down the street and I, I, I had a moment of clarity as we talk about it. I realized who I was, where I was, and what was happening in my life. And I already, I realized that it was never going to get any better. It was never going to change. Because so many times I'd been in those situations where I would swear off forever, like we talk about, I'm never going to do this again, and my life's going to get better, and I'm going to be okay. And then I would turn around and I would do it again. And I would look at myself in the mirror and I would think, how could you do that? You knew what was going to happen. You knew it was going to lead to arrest. You knew it was going to get you kicked out of the house. You knew it was going to get your car taken away. You knew you were going to lose your license, but you did it anyway. You've got to be insane. And so I thought I was insane. I thought, that's what this is. I'm just insane. And I don't know how you become alcoholic, but if they f ever figure out a way to identify us pre-birth, I'm really hoping they put a label on us that says, grandiose, immature, and in full flight from reality, do not add alcohol. Because the moment I found alcohol, I got that sense of ease and contentment the book talks about. If you're not an alcoholic, 
you wouldn't understand. That's all I can say, because when we talk about ease and comfort, when somebody said that their first drink of alcohol was the first time they took a full breath, I understood what that meant. It was the first time that I ever felt like I belonged anywhere and like life made any sense at all. But what I didn't realize was that that, that was going to lead me to a place in my life where I would not be able to turn it away, where it would control my every move, where I would think about it constantly and everything that I did and said and every place that I went would be controlled by alcohol. But, you know, when you're young, it's like ah, bulletproof and I'm invisible. You know, I can do anything that I want and there's no consequences. And so that went on for a while until I picked up that third DUI and wound up here in jail and for a while in Glendora. And at some point, I guess it was after that moment of clarity I told you about, I became sweetly reasonable as we talk about in here. I opened up to the point where I started to hear what you said. And what I heard you say was, it's gonna get worse, it's not gonna get better. That you're dying of a spiritual malady that requires a spiritual remedy. And the only remedy we have to offer here are laid out in the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And as the result of these 12 steps, you may have a spiritual awakening that will solve your problem. And what I thought was my problem was alcohol. What I realized my problem was later on in sobriety, life is my problem. My problem is dealing with day to day, the everyday, the mundane, the ins and outs of life, the tragedies and losses, and the wins and the successes and the greatness that comes by just doing a few things right, things goes my, go my way sometimes and, and I get, you know, uh, I get an ego problem and I think that I don't need you anymore or that I don't need God anymore. So uh, I've learned around here from you people that what I need to do is I need to pay attention to what, what's going on in my life and what's going on around me and I need to pay attention to what this small, still voice that speaks to me is saying to me. And most of the time, what it's telling me is that it's okay, you know, you can do this, whatever it is that I'm going through. But, uh, uh, you know, I just, I feel so fortunate because if you've been around here for any period of time, you've, you've seen the tragedies. You've seen the people who have come and you, you root for them and you root for them and you think, God, please stay, please stay. And then they try it again. And sometimes they come back and sometimes they don't. And sometimes they come back and they're full of bullet holes and sometimes they come back and all they have to say to you is, I just can't stick around. I just can't stick around. And for some reason or another, I've been fortunate enough to stick around as long as I have. And I've experienced the miracles that happen in AA. I met my wife at a young people's meeting when we were about, uh, we were both about a year sober. About five years later, we got married. We now have two children that have grown up and they're 28 and 30, have graduated college. I never got out of high school. Uh, so it's been a real amazing ride. It's been a, just, I couldn't, I couldn't have imagined what I was in for. So if you're new or relatively new, stick around and see the miracle happen. And if you've been around here for a while and you're thinking maybe this is your last 30 days, it's okay. Just keep coming back because this too shall pass 
and you'll experience that same wonder and excitement that you used to know in your early sobriety. Just get back to basics. Thank you very much for allowing me to show. And now I'll turn it over to our main speaker, you've all been waiting for, Gary C. Hi, Gary. <coughs> Good evening. Good hey, this is great. Really great. I mean, the bird was great. The company was great. The weather's Family got great. So, I'm Gary C., and I'm an alcoholic. Gary. And can you hear me back there? Yes, sir. Yeah, probably that. Uh, I usually don't need a mic. So, um, a little bit about my drinking. When I was uh, 10 years old, I uh, had a skull fracture, and I didn't come, died for a minute, eight seconds. And I wasn't able to go back to school for a year or so. And when we moved from Southgate to West Covina in December of 53, okay, and then that June of 54, when I had the skull fragment. Prior to that, I was a pretty good student. I was good at mathematics. Teachers hated me because I wouldn't do long division. I looked at the number and I knew what the denominator was. But after that skull fracture, I was today. And it took a few years, and in that few years, I came down with a terrible inferiority complex. Now, I believe I know exactly when I became alcoholic. The doctor slapped me on the ass, I came out screaming. I can look at a five-year-old kid and tell you, potential. <laughs> My school's record says, does not play well with others. Okay. I became a loner because no one wanted to play with me. Okay. I'm still trying to figure out what the hell happened on that June day back in 54. So, uh, at 13 years old, I found out an answer for that. Okay, I, uh, I found a whiskey bottle in the cupboard. Now, of course, we all had sips of beer and stuff like that when we were kids, but I liked that whiskey. It came out my fingers and my toes and out my head. And I felt like I belonged. And if God made anything better, he kept it for himself. That's some good shit. Now, 
Thank God for alcohol at those years because it kept me halfway sane. I would have been potential as we do now, teenage suicide. What a shame. Okay? Because I was suicidal when I was a teenager. Now, by the time I was uh, 17, I had, I went to uh, Edgewood High, if anybody remembers that, over in West Covina. And, uh, At 17, I, oh, prior to 17, I flunked the sophomore year in, in high school. By 17, I had made up all those points and was graduating. But by 17, I was drinking pretty heavy. Now, I'm not the type of person that goes, ooh, booze, and just kills a bottle and passes out. You put booze in me, and I want to party. Okay? I'm up for three days on alcohol. It does not put me down. So, I take speed. I can't make it home. I pass out. Built upside down. You know? My nose runs, my feet smell. I'm upside down. Come to find out, that's what people with ADD have, stuff like that. That's why we feed these kids Ritalin, and all they need is a good cup of coffee. And now I figured out why we drink so much coffee in AA. Can you take off my gloves? Okay. Now, through high school, I'm, I'm the kid that was underneath bleachers with a bottle. Made me hip slick and cool. By the time I got to college, I got past my French toes and bell bottom and khakis and all that shit. And through the Hot Rod series, you know, Lucky Strikes rolled up in his t-shirt. Okay. And I'm good at playing a part. By the time I got into junior college, I was GQ. GQ? What's GQ? Yeah. Okay, when I graduated, I bought a, my folks would always pay for the down payment if we graduated, but we had to pay for the insurance and pay the car payments. But what do I get? I get a 58 white with red interior for a bit. Had it for three days. No, I didn't wreck it. My insurance man got back to me, and my insurance payments were more than a car. Okay, because I like the street race. Was my fifty-seven, but I kept drinking. Now I have never had a DUI or what we used to call five hundred twos back in the day. I'm the kind of guy that can do a sobriety test. Can't pass those low ones now, but did. But they cut me loose. They'd drive off, I'd pass out. So, DUIs did not get me here. 
what got me here. I married a girl just like dear old dad did. An untreated Al-Anon. Do we have any Al-Anons here? Bless your souls. Okay? Because I hate to tell you this, ladies, you're worse than an alcoholic. <laughs> because anyone in their right mind would live with me for 10 years as a drunk. Because I'm not a nice guy when I drink. I get into fights, and I'm selfish, and I'm self-centered, and that was my makeup. And I walked around, I cocked a walk, couldn't pass a reflection in my mirror. Man, I was so full of my shit, oh shit, it was uh, impossible. I had to drink to keep this image of myself up. Because inside, I was scared to death that you'd find out who I am. And I thought I was a worthless piece of crap, That's what I thought. Okay? So, I went from college to college. Of course, it wasn't my drinking that got in the way. You know, I was a flight major for a while, but then my flight instructor said, we're doing powerhouse stalls, and I'm turning green. He says, you know, Gary, to get through this, you really need to think about giving up the drink and flying. Okay. Or giving up flying. I gave up flying, of course. You know? Everything was centered around this. Now, my wife, young wife at the time, we got married in 1965 <laughs> in Las Vegas, Nevada. Not much of a drinker. She tried to keep up with my drinking, but couldn't do it. But she kept putting up with me. And I treated that woman like crap. Because it's all about me. Okay. Then we had our first daughter in, this, in November of 65, uh, 68. And uh, we worked hard to make her. And I thought maybe that would change, but it didn't. It didn't change at all. And I've always worked hard all my life. So I put food on the table, a roof over their heads. And I thought, you know, what are you bitching about? You got food, you got a place to sleep. Leave me alone. Well, in 1969, I got in a fight with my wife and her brother. I put her brother in the hospital. 
had heard a bad situation. She grabbed our baby, went out the back window, and I chased her down the street. And I came back. I woke up the next day, laying on a glass of a broken coffee table, house wide open, and nobody there. I didn't know what happened. She went to Fresno to see her grandmother. My father-in-law took uh, Jack to the hospital. He ended up staying in a, their room for two weeks, not being able to walk. And I talked to her into coming back and living with me. And she did. And I went to Alcoholics Anonymous for the first time. Now, I knew about Alcoholics Anonymous because in a college class on social deviates, a panel came and talked to us. And I took the 20 questions, John Hopkins 20 questions, don't know if you guys still have them around anymore, took it up to a gal in the panel, said, yeah, I got 17 of these yeses. Three will get you in here. She looked at that, she talked with me, and she said, you're one of us, honey, but you're not ready yet. But I'll save you a seat. So, and I wasn't ready yet. But I went to, uh, Went in the AA uh, I, that morning, laying in that broken glass, not knowing where my family was. And the other part of the, her family talked to me. And I, uh, I called a guy named Chino Mack. And he took me to my first AA meeting in Baldwin Park. And I shook like a leaf. That's back when we had real coffee cups in the 10 ashtrays, okay? And they give me half a cup of coffee and I was shaking so bad. And I liked it. I liked the people in that meeting. So I started going to the 502 club. When it was, right there, the old one. So then me and my wife and my partner and his wife were down at Hermosa Beach having dinner one night. And my wife got a little loaded and dancing. And I had eight months sober. Mind you, I loved this woman. It, I, it, she said, everybody else is drinking and having fun. For the last eight months, yes, you just, not the life of the party anymore. You know, I said, I can't drink, honey. I'm not supposed to. Well then, I think I'll dance with him. And so she did. I sat there drinking my tonic and lime. She comes back and said, you act like you got a stick up your ass. 
drink. So being eight months sober, loving my wife and my newborn little girl, I drank. I had a vodka Marty down. I finished it. I slid it across the table. She goes, gonna have another? No. Nope. I had one. But gee, they'd have to take their hats off to me. <laughs> because that started it. Started it all over again. But worse this time. At the end of the next week, I put a hit out on my partner's life. I'm not a nice drunk. Luckily, the guy with the contract knew me well enough to hold off till I was sober. <laughs> Got rid of that brother-in-law pretty fast. Uh, so, it started all over again with the vengeance. I drank for basically five more years. The wife stuck with me back and forth. This brings me up to March the 2nd, 1975. On March the 1st, it was my younger daughter's birthday. She turned three, two. By the way, she's got 18 years clean and sober. My oldest daughter had four and a half years. And because of foot surgery and everything else, he was stuck in this house. She gained a lot of weight. She drank. The DTs, which he'd been through before in my bedroom. Mixing Carol syrup and the juice, right guys? The DTs gave her a heart attack. That was April. My wife died seven years ago. I have her ashes, her picture. And behind the picture was four years of chips from her oldest daughter. But she drank and she died. Last Sunday, I did her memorial service. To drink is to die for an alcoholic. We're different. We're unique. No. We're alcoholic. And alcoholics are not stupid. Alcoholics have an above average intelligence. Unless we drink. 
So on March the 2nd, 1975, I got my, I did my last trip. I think it started at, anybody familiar with Oakland, it started at the Stuffed Shirt, went to the Sycamore Inn, went to the Magic Lamp, and I walked to Dean's, I don't know if anybody knows that, I've seen him do coke on the bar at Dean's, okay, and they threw my ass out. And I was sitting in a naked lot. I went to the liquor store, got myself half pipe, brown, brown paper bag. I'm sitting in this vacant lot and I'm drinking. Got up, staggered, finished the bottle. My wife picked me up in the corner. The next morning, she took me and the kids and the babysitter has to drop me off. Where's my truck? She says, it's a sycamore ant. Okay. You don't understand, woman. I made a thousand fifty a week take home in nineteen seventy-five. Seventy-eight or seventy-four, seventy-five. I'm out of work right now. It's uh, almost a month later. I'm drunk as hell. She drops me off to the Sycamore Ann, that's where my truck was. I kissed my two little girls goodbye at the back seat, looked at her and went, because I'm going back to school and getting my degree and being everything I want. You're the anchor around my life. It's keeping me down. Not a rock, don't be supposed to drop. I'm going down Valley Boulevard heading out to Colton. There's a liquor store just opened. I'm shaking. And I know if I don't get alcohol in me fast, the critters are going to crawl out of the vents. That was the kind of drunk I was been through the DTs quite a bit. I pulled in there and I looked through that pickup truck, seats and everything. I did not have enough money to buy me a half pint of tin high. And what was that back then? A dollar eighty some cents. He just left your job paying me a thousand I'm not too smart, but I can add. And this just did not add up right. I sat in that truck and watched the guy at the counter watching me. Didn't know if I was going to rob the place or make a run. And in my head, I saw a woman I loved. A beautiful woman and two beautiful little girls. And I'm going to die. I'm going to die of alcoholism. And I put my hands on the steering wheel 
put my head in my hands and I said, God, take me. Take me or help me. I was crying and all of a sudden I sat up. Started the car up, went out to the union hall. And back to the college, did everything I said I was going to do, and I am clear-headed all of a sudden. That's when the obsession left, but not the craving. Because I came to the 502 Club, which they used to throw me out of because I get there drunk. And I walked in. Matt said, still got your watch, you still got your shoes, kid. And I said, it's a Timex. You ever try to hawk a Timex? <laughs> I got holes in my soles, my feet. feet. I got business cards from failed business ventures in it. And outside of that, you, fat, you can't throw me out of here. I haven't. <laughs> And sat there, went to the meeting. After the meeting, I'm shaking. I'm sweating. It's starting all over again, guys. Two guys are beside me. They're saying, Come on, you can do this, you can do this. And I'm going, every time I quit, I got drunk again. I, I, I can't do this. I've been there. I've done this. My savior. Okay. Waterfront man. Walks up to me. And two of his babies, they were beside me. He says, kid, we don't quit here. We just do it one day at a time. And for some reason, that got through to me. Because the idea of having another drink, or going through life without a drink, scared the living shit out of me. I knew nothing for 17 years except putting on this fake act with alcohol. It's the only friend I had. It was my mistress. It was everything to me. One day at a time. They shut that place down that night. I think it was midnight. It was on the weekend. And Max uh, said, there you go. You got a day, kid. And I said, <laughs> So they took me out to his car, sat me down, told one of his babies, open up the trunk. There's apple juice in there. Hey, they brought it out. I took the bottle of apple juice and I killed it. Mac talked to me for a while. He said, uh, how'd you get here? That's my truck over there. Okay. So they helped me over to my truck. I hadn't drank anything that day. But I'm an alcoholic. I still got a lot of it in my system. 
He said, it's a lock. I said, I don't think so. Give me your keys. Said, okay, door's open. Uh, why don't you lay down on the seat? And he said, hey, the keys will be in the club in the morning around 10 o'clock. And that's where I woke up, in the parking lot of the 502 Club, laying in the front seat of my pickup truck, with everything I owned in two Alpha Beta bags on the floor. I got up, I went in, door's locked, can't get in, can't get to my keys. There's a little cafe close by. I go over, Gail says, get a cup of coffee, she pours it, want something to eat. I'm going, no, didn't have enough money to buy something to eat. She brings me out breakfast. I don't have, get me later. Because I told her I was waiting for the 502 Club to open up. She says, honey, I'll see you to meet him. Well, that was how I got here this time. I wasn't going to go on so long. How much I got left, Bill? So, what happened is I ended up living with my parents and uh, they were just down where Vincent turns into California and my dad had cancer and he was going to treatments. So I would get off work on a graveyard shift, I would run down there, have breakfast with my folks and the baby and the family and uh, take my dad to radiation treatments over in Whittier. I still didn't want to talk to the wife. So, some time went past and I finally walked into a little bar that she had ended up always wanted to try being somebody in a bar. And I walked in and she goes, mm, you're 86, you can't come in here. And I said, I, I don't want to drink. I took a 60 day trip my first trip, which I had to come over to San Gabriel Valley to get. And remember, any of you guys old enough to remember those old poker chips? Yeah. I laid it on the bar. Can I talk to you later tonight? We didn't go right back together, but things happened. The 502 Club got tired of my bullshit. <laughs> you want to be with your girls in Ontario, there's a place called Bonita Court. <laughs> And that's where I went. And in that, beneath the court, actually, just prior to that, I had this sponsor over here, the first one, and he took me to uh, Lark Ellen meeting. And the book went around, and I passed it. He looks over at me and he says, he reads, he passes the book. You illiterate? I said, no, I, I stopped reading in fifth grade when everybody laughed at me. I do not read a lot. I said, okay, when it comes back around, do it. And I sweated, like, just worried to death about this. I remember fifth grade and those kids laughing at me and the teacher calling me stupid. 
And the book came back to me and I took it. I started reading it. And I hesitated a little bit. If I had to stay too long, somebody next to me give me, let's pronounce this one. And when I was done with one paragraph, I passed it to my sponsor. And that was a changing moment in my AA life. Nobody laughed. They didn't laugh at me. These are my people. We don't laugh at people in here. We sure as hell laugh with you. But we don't laugh at somebody. Because in here is a fellowship that none other have. Read a vision for you again. If you don't identify with the jumping off place, maybe you're not ready yet. But it goes into the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. Please, if you're new and you're just coming late to a meeting and going home, it's not going to work for you. What works is the steps, the conscious contact with God as you understand him, and the fellowship of like-minded. Nobody understands an alcoholic, but an alcoholic. You have to experience it, the loneliness, the desperation, okay? We need people. We need people of like mind. Our poor Alanons, they don't understand why. Hell, most of us don't understand why. How does it work? It's in the book. But the fact is, is if I don't fellowship, I'm screwed. The meeting before the meeting, the meeting after the meeting, Tonight was beautiful. All you people kind of showed up. We had a nice barbecue. We talked. We're going to talk afterwards. Because this is where we belong. Alcoholics Anonymous is the largest spiritual fellowship in the world. In the world. No religion even comes close to it. But in here, we find a God of our understanding. When I was a few months sober, went over to see my older brother. His church had a prayer group. I'm all into it right then. And uh, they wanted everybody to pray for the children of this alcoholic mother. And I thought to myself, Pray for her and the children to be fine. And I came back to Carbon Canyon going, hmm. <laughs> Voice came to me. Hey, Gary, those are people doing the best they can with what they got. You are a miracle. You have came in here, you haven't drank, eight months you uh you saw guys come in after you you've seen the miracle happen we see the miracle happen every time we come to an aa meeting and the guys ahead of me showed me the way 
said, stop looking for the Holy Grail. Go to your meetings. And I did. Okay? I started working this program as hard as I could. And guess who I saw that August? Chuck C. He sat with me. He talked with me at Van Riesen. Okay? I have known an awful lot of good men in Alcoholics Anonymous. Now, I'm here to tell you something. You're not junk. God does not create junk. It loves you. You need to open up to a God of your understanding, not mine, not some preacher man, okay? Not some shrink if you've gone through the spin drives. You need to open up to a fellow alcoholic that will understand and not judge you. And through that, in a fifth step, we are connected with a power greater than ourselves. And that power took me through second year of my sobriety, the most emotional year, I think. Who knows that happens in the first year? No, it doesn't. First year, you're just drying out. Second year, you better have connected with the steps because we're going to push you out the plane and that parachute better open for you. Are you going to bounce in and out, in and out, in and out? Like my brother Richard did. He died a drunk. My old brother died. I've had four guys I've sponsored died, two because they drank. I've been to a lot of funerals. Hell, I do memorials. I do weddings. I do all that stuff today. Because I am a human being. You know what that means? Hue is from the Greek. It means divine. Man, human. Man means mortal. We are divine mortals. And the Father will reach his hand down and give you the strength when no one else can. And he does it through all these beautiful city men. This is a fellowship. In here, I don't have to drink today. And in 20, 30 some years over, I'm sitting in a meeting, I got people on both sides of me. They said, Gary, speak. What do you got for us? And I said, I'm sitting here and I want to go get drunk. That's why I'm sitting here between these two guys that I sponsor. They're sponsoring me tonight. That's what this fellowship is about. That's what AA is about. It's for us and the help that we can give other people. And I've gone on too long. Right, Bill? So I'd like to thank you all, my brothers and sisters. And thank you for Les for asking me to come out here and speak tonight. God bless you all. I'm less alcoholic. Yeah. <clears throat> Let's give Gary and Bill a hand for a great meeting.
We'd like to thank everybody that participated and brought food and of service here every night. Let's give them a hand. Carlo for cooking. Okay, I'm your grapevine rip. Two years, 58 bucks, meeting in a print. You know, I always talk about it. You get stuck on stu stupid, pull over and read it. Put, keep one in your car. It says here, pain has made me stronger. Pain is the, is, is, the, is the key, you know. When I got here, it was like any kind of pain, any kind of thing like that, I ran. <laughs> Thank God for Alcoholics Anonymous, you know. And uh, if you're new and you don't have a sponsor, there's a lot of people in the room that they're willing to sponsor. If you see, if you go up and talk to them, you know, and get to know them, you know, that's somebody you can get transparent with and that's everything, you know. Uh, so anyway, what we do here, uh, we give these out, you go ahead and read it, and when you're done, bring it back and we'll recirculate them. And, uh, you know, drop one off at a doctor's office or take one to a recovery house or send one to the penitentiary, you know, H&I. You know, and uh, so pain has made me stronger. Who wants one? Who wants it? Come on up and get it. Come on up. Nick, where are you, Nick? Come on. Well, I got one back. 70 wonderful years. The 12 steps and the 12 traditions. It's a new edition. Come on up. Somebody want it? Come on. All right, happy. Happy, happy. You look happy too, happy. Thank you. All right, let's go. All right, everyone, let's get our raffle tickets out. We'll be raffling off a visual history of Alcoholics Anonymous, and we've upgraded late. I'm pretty sure more people have CDs than cassettes, right? But all right, it's gonna be all right. Um, first one. All right, first one is gonna be ending in four nine two nine. Four nine two nine. Any takers? Any takers? Going once. If you have it, you have your choice of which one. No? No? Four nine two nine. Four nine two nine. Alright. Let's, let's pick a winner. Four nine zero zero. Four nine zero zero. Go. I love and give it to the next. Okay. Four eight four six. Four eight four six. Four eight four six. Four eight two six. Four eight two six. Four eight two six. Four eight two six. Oh, there we go. We got a winner. Which one would you like? It's, it's meant to be. No, it's meant to be. Believe me. <laughs> That's good. Thank you. Thank you. All right. All right. 
This one ending 4889. 4889. Come on. 4889. 4889. Any takers? Going once. Going twice. Oh. All right. This one. 4919, 4919. Did someone throw away tickets or what's going on? Now the people have started getting chilly, huh? Yeah. Right. 4852, 4852. Someone got 19? All right, get up here, brother. And you still do have a choice. There's this one, and if you'd, or if you'd like a big book. This one's a visual history of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'll take that one. I'll take this one. All right. All right. Thank you. There you go, Appreciate Thank it. Thank you. All right. Big book, big book. Okay. Here we go. Here we go, guys. This is for a big book. 4928. 4928. Gotta have someone. It's gotta be someone who needs it. And even if you have one, it's always so good to give away to someone. 4928. 4928. Nada? Nada? This ticket ending four eight seven six four eight seven six. Lisa, there we go. There is a guy. There is a guy. Someone. <laughs> He's all like after twelve tickets. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. And thank you guys for letting me be of service. I will. Should I get into reading the promises? The promises. All right, here we go. These are the promises. If we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if you work for them. Now, after a moment of silence for the alcoholic that still suffers in and out of these rooms and the innocent children caught in the crossfire, please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. Thank you guys for letting me be of service, and you guys have a great weekend. Yeah. 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 Yeah.